Hello. Abortion is a controversial topic with a lot of emotions on both sides. For good reason. The stakes are high. Do we fight for choice for women or do we fight for the rights of the unborn? Where do you stand on the issue of our times? To navigate the subject with a clear conscience and peace of mind, we will need to understand the truth about abortion. Any couple who's taken a pregnancy test and seen it come up positive knows firsthand that pregnancy is a big deal. And why wouldn't it be a big deal? It means a new person has been created. Or is it not a big deal because it's not a person until it's born? If it's not a person in the womb, then abortion would not necessarily be wrong and we could argue for legal abortion. But if it is a person in the womb, abortion would always be wrong and could properly be called the modern day massacre of the innocents. 3,000 abortions per day on average, almost a million per year in the United States. Abortion would be the injustice of our times, calling us to action. Our grandchildren may ask us, what did you do to defend the most vulnerable in our society way back then? To know if abortion is something to fight for or against, we need to know when human life and personhood begins. Any dictionary can help us figure this question out by looking at the definition of the two terms involved, pregnancy and abortion. Pregnancy is defined as the time during which one or more child or offspring develops inside a woman, and abortion is defined as the deliberate termination of a pregnancy. So, procuring an abortion is by definition the termination of the life of a child or offspring growing in the womb. What else could abortion be aborting other than the life that's already there? Well, that settles it. Hold on, you say. There's way more involved in that. Nope. There are a lot of conditions discussed in the conversation about abortion, and we will go through those together in just a moment, but none of them change the facts about abortion. Abortion kills an innocent, vulnerable life growing in the womb. There are so many rewarding, meaningful moments and precious memories related to raising children and witnessing them grow up, so why would anyone be tempted to wish the pregnancy would go away somehow? It could be that before those beautiful moments actually happen, we can't see them. Instead, we may only see the 18 or more years of responsibilities, expenses, and time commitments added to our to-do list. If the couple was planning on the pregnancy, then they imagined the good parts of parenting. Pregnancy is only a problem when the child growing in the womb was unplanned. Most reluctant parents freely chose to engage in the act that creates babies but don't want the responsibility that comes with their choice. They want another chance to choose. This is the most common form of abortion, and it's like backup contraception. That's why they call the abortion drug Plan B. The main problem with this argument is that it ignores the fact of abortion. It ends the life of a child in the womb. Using abortion as backup contraception requires ignoring the rights of the boy or girl in the womb for the sake of unrestricted sex of the parents. This kind of thinking is like hiring a hitman to solve a problem you caused. Hiring hitmen is illegal in all 50 states, for good reason. Because the purpose of abortion is to end the life of an innocent human person, it's never morally right, no matter the conditions or circumstances. Societies create laws against murder to protect human lives, and our Constitution guarantees the right to life. But some still argue that abortion should be legal because the life in the womb is not actually a person, or that some circumstances take precedence over the death of the child in the womb making an exception to the law against killing. Clever slogans are concocted to frame the issue so abortion sounds so moral that those who disagree must actually hate women. How do these arguments hold up to scrutiny? The woman's right to choose slogan not only leaves men out of the conversation, but deliberately leaves the victim out of the conversation as well. 
The slogan is used to emphasize the woman without acknowledging the person in the womb or that the choice they're talking about is abortion. Premeditated killing should never be a choice. The time to choose to have a baby or not is prior to engaging in the act that creates a new person. In other words, because I don't want a baby right now is not a credible reason to change the law against killing innocent people. The pro-choice argument relies on the idea that humans cannot utilize their intellect and free will with regards to sexual behavior, but are instead ruled by sexual attractions like animals. Our desires may affect our objectivity with this argument, which inexplicably redefines self-control as repression, because repression has negative connotations, like a sin against our nature. But this redefinition doesn't work because it ignores the fact that we all control ourselves in various ways every day to our benefit, not our detriment. We should also consider the immorality of using people for pleasure. Using someone is the opposite of loving someone. Speaking of sin, some object to restricting abortion on religious grounds by pontificating about God's unconditional love and forgiveness for his creatures to whom he gave sexual desires. After all, how could God object to us acting on our desires that he gave us? Surely he would understand if we had to discard the undesired life that resulted. This argument mischaracterizes Christianity, however, which actually teaches that humans introduced disorder to our desires through sin. But God offers to save us from sin through his grace and our repentance. God calls us to choose holiness. We're not chimps with briefcases, but children of God made in his image, a noble calling. An increasing number of people think belief in God opposes science and reason. By substituting science for God, we conveniently gain a reason to justify acting according to our sexual impulses like the animals from which we evolved, even though animals only act sexually for procreation. If we are just biology, then matter is all that exists, and non-material concepts like personhood go out the window. If there's no God, then there's no source for our personhood. We may gain the right to kill the unborn in the womb because they're not persons, but neither would us born people be persons. We could kill anyone under this atheistic premise. Anyone object to that? If all we are is matter, morality itself becomes nonsense. Our whole discussion becomes pointless, why discuss keeping our consciences clear on abortion if our consciences can be ignored? I'm not saying that people who don't believe in God don't follow their consciences. They usually do, but the philosophy doesn't account for consciences. Nonetheless, in a free country, wouldn't it be wrong to use religion to force laws about abortion on atheists and materialists? All laws make some kind of moral restriction, so the logical end of this line of thinking would mean eradicating all laws or remove the basis for laws. Societies need laws to keep order, especially ones related to protecting innocent human life. Another slogan we often hear to justify abortion is, my body, my choice. Well, it's true that the mother is carrying the child inside her body, but the child is distinct from her body. Does a pregnant woman have two heads, two hearts, two sets of DNA? No, the slogan is just wrong. It's not her body, it's her child's body. If it was her body, then she would be killing herself in an abortion. How did that slogan gain any momentum in the first place? Besides, we're not allowed to do anything we want with our bodies. We can't legally use our bodies to hurt people, for example. An abortion hurts another person fatally. Some say we don't know for sure when life begins, so abortion's okay. But not knowing if the fetus is alive or not would be a reason to be against abortion for the same reason a hunter must not shoot if he isn't sure the distant object is a person or an animal. 
We all agree with Star Trek's prime directive to not interfere with life wherever we encounter it. Respect it, don't disrupt it. But the truth is that we do know when life begins because science tells us. The biological development of a human being begins at conception, when the 23 chromosomes in the sperm unites with the 23 chromosomes of the egg to make the 46 chromosomes in all human DNA. At that moment, everything about that person is determined, the sex, ethnicity, hair color, eye color, you name it. But more obviously, at conception, the offspring begins to grow. Only alive beings grow. Fetuses also move. Clearly, life has begun. While science cannot tell us much about the soul because it's non-material, we know intuitively that humans are body and soul composites. The soul animates the body. The question of when life begins and the question of when the soul is created is actually the same question. When would be the most logical moment for this to happen? No moment indicates a more fundamental change than the moment of conception. Neither the sperm cell nor the egg cell have souls. The logical beginning of the soul would therefore be the same moment at that the entire physical person is created, conception. Some may acknowledge that a fetus is actually alive, but question whether it's human yet. How could it become human if it isn't already human? It does have human parents. If it has human parents, it's gotta be human. An embryo or a fetus is not merely a clump of cells, but the early stage of a human body. And if given nourishment and care, it will grow into a mature member of our species. That's something the sperm cell or egg cell cannot do. A human being is any member of our species, and we should treat all members equally. A human adult is a human. A human adolescent is a human. A human toddler is a human. A human newborn is a human. A human fetus is a human. And a human embryo is a human. This is plain science. And if it's not human life in the womb, what is it? Saying that the fetus is not human yet suggests that it's up for grabs what it might become. Have you seen those illustrations showing the similarity of the appearance of various animals early in development? Ooh, maybe our baby will be an alien because that fetus looks like the alien that came out of that guy's stomach in the movie Alien. What about a whale? At least that's a mammal. Or maybe it's off only by a little and it will become a cute little monkey. Can it become anything? Nothing? There's never been a case where at the end of nine months a woman delivers another species. Only humans and the process of being delivered adds nothing human to what was already there. But some say the life in the womb is not human if the mother doesn't want the baby, and it is human if she does want it. What if she changes her mind? And why would we call her the mother if she isn't a mother of a human being? No, it's either human or it's not, and opinion has nothing to do with it. What if we said that about born people? I know you thought you were a person, but you were wrong. You no longer have the right to live. We've decided. Our species can be identified by our DNA, no matter how similar it is to other animals or how much the mother is under stress. The question of whether a fetus is human is another question that is therefore answered by science. When an abortion is not taking place, conversations surrounding it are philosophical. We hear words like choice, blobs of tissue, patriarchy, and we see people at marches wearing obscene hats and carrying angry signs. But when a woman enters an abortion clinic, all the politics end and the conversation becomes about why she can't have the baby right now. Women know that a person is living inside their womb. If they believed it was really just a blob of tissue, it wouldn't be called a crisis pregnancy in the first place. Like we said at the beginning, being pregnant is a big deal. The emotional stress is very real in these situations and it comes from the fact that there's a real person to account for. 
We all know that a fetus is more than a clump of cells. If we didn't, why would pro-abortion groups oppose showing mothers ultrasounds? And why do those same people get upset when they see pictures of aborted babies? Any display of an aborted fetus must have a warning declaring that it contains disturbing graphic content. Why would it be graphic or disturbing if the fetus is not a person? Everyone who sees these images knows instinctively that they show brutally killed little people. If you're pro-abortion, consider searching for pictures like these online. And if you have an aversion to doing that, ask yourself why. Pro-abortion groups do everything they can to prevent mothers from seeing images of their children inside the womb because they don't want them to recognize them for who they are, their children. Pro-abortion groups also never want anyone to see images of the abortion procedure itself either because that takes the abstract concept of choice and turns it into concrete reality. The sad reality of a procured abortion is this. If the pregnancy is early enough, an abortion is accomplished by injecting a solution of salt saline into the mother's womb. The baby then gulps the solution. It burns the baby inside and out. And then the mother delivers a dead baby within 24 hours. Another option is an abortion pill that causes the abortion entirely from home. The mother usually experiences terrible pain for many hours before delivering the baby prematurely, sometimes with its heart still beating. Later term abortions do not use saline solution, but an abortionist tears the baby into pieces using forceps and a lot of force and then crushes its skull so all the pieces can be extracted. The pieces are then reassembled outside the womb to make sure all of the baby has been removed. Sometimes the woman's womb is perforated in the process and sometimes pieces of the dead baby are not fully extracted, causing complications. People say they want safe abortions, but abortion is never safe. The mother can be injured or die in a botched abortion, even in a legal abortion clinic, and in a successful abortion, the baby always dies. Speaking of safety, won't women die in back alley abortions if abortion becomes illegal? Legalizing abortion did not make it less deadly for women. Years after convincing the media that between five and 10,000 women died in illegal abortions every year, Larry Later and Bernard Nathanson admitted that they entirely made those numbers up. In the year abortion was nationally legalized, 1973, more women died from legal abortion than illegal abortion. Former abortionist Kathy Altman said, whether it's legal or illegal, abortion poses long-term physical and emotional harm for women, including an increased risk of suicide, future infertility, pregnancy loss, and damage to internal organs. Women still die from illegal abortion today. After Roe v. Wade, the number of abortions skyrocketed. Over 60 million children have been legally killed by abortion. There are organizations such as Rachel's Vineyard that help women recover from the emotional harms of abortion. There are no such organizations needed for people who choose to go through with their pregnancy. While having children early in life helps reduce breast cancer in women, abortion increases the risk of breast cancer. Over 3,000 children are aborted every day and that makes abortion the leading cause of death in America, killing about as many human beings as heart disease and cancer combined. Is abortion ever medically necessary? An ectopic pregnancy, which could happen in the early stages, may require the removal of a fallopian tube to save the mother's life and have the unintended double effect of ending the baby's life. Once the baby has safely traveled to the uterus during the pregnancy, however, it's a different story. 
There's not a single fetal or maternal condition that requires a third trimester abortion, not one. Delivery, yes, abortion, no, says Dr. Omar El Hamada. And former abortionist Dr. Dan Levitina explains, I have saved hundreds of women from life-threatening pregnancies by delivering them. The number of babies that needed to be deliberately killed in the process was zero, none. The key point about late-term abortion that people miss is that it takes days to prepare the cervix. If the woman's life is in danger, a cesarean delivery can happen in about an hour. Delivery instead of abortion. Speaking of abortionists, some will tell you plainly that they know firsthand that they are killers. Abortion is killing. Nobody can argue with that, says abortionist Dr. Bertrand Weiner. Am I killing? Yes, I am. I know that. Abortionist Curtis Boyd. Abortion is taking a human life. Abortionist Frank Berend. Some say it's okay to abort life in the womb because they don't have sentience or aren't self-aware. Why do professional boxing referees move boxers away from a temporarily knocked out opponent? If sentience determined human life, why couldn't the boxer keep punching the knocked out clump of cells until it dies? Or why not kill sleepy people or those in a coma? How would that be different from murder? Some say it's okay to kill a person in the womb because they can't feel pain. We know that babies in the womb can feel pain pretty early on based on their desperate reactions of self-defense to being burned or torn apart, just like a born human reacts to pain. But even if they couldn't feel pain, we could use the same logic to kill a person on painkillers, and we all understand that doing that would be wrong. Some say it's okay to kill a person in the womb because they are not viable. They can't live on their own. But a newborn can't live on its own either, so being born doesn't change anything. And why would we ever want to say that a person who relies on other people doesn't have the right to live? Not many of us city folk could survive on our own very long, even as adults. Humans naturally live in communities. Our lives would become pretty meaningless without other people to share it with. We all depend on each other. Many religions teach that acknowledging our dependencies on God is foundational to understanding reality. Praying on someone for being dependent is hypocritical and frankly inhuman. Some say abortion is okay because they wouldn't want the child to suffer or lead a hard life of poverty, but it is more likely that they don't want themselves to suffer, so they cause extreme suffering and then death in an abortion. We know that killing born poor people is not a moral solution to poverty, so why would killing a poor child in the womb be different? Some acknowledge that abortion may be unpleasant, but think the happiness of those who are already born is the greatest good. This argument for choice conveniently avoids the reason abortion may be unpleasant. Someone dies. St. Mother Teresa put it this way, It is a poverty to decide that a child must die so that you may live as you wish. Some call abortion women's reproductive rights. If this were China, I could understand that phrase because China has laws prohibiting women from reproducing, but America doesn't. Abortion has nothing to do with reproduction anyway. If there's a pregnancy, reproduction has already happened. If the phrase reproductive rights means empowerment of women, then we need to recognize that abortions do not empower women. They are performed when the mother feels like there's no other option. Choosing life is actual empowerment because it says you can have babies and your career and life. It's the abortion industry that tells you that you can't. Kristen Hawkins said, Patriarchy is winning if women feel that they need to kill someone to achieve their goals. 
If abortion is a feminism issue, then why don't we recognize that abortion enables men to use women? Men who sexually exploit women always support legal abortion because it benefits them directly. And why are we forgetting that at least half of the aborted children are girls? How is that pro-feminism? If a woman has any rights, it's because she got them when she was an embryo. Some say that abortion is a woman's issue and men have no seat at the table, but that would let men off the hook. Men need to take responsibility for parenting along with women instead of putting it all on the woman's shoulders. Parenting isn't just a woman's issue, so we shouldn't let anyone shut out the male voices from the conversation. Culture that speaks of inclusion and tries to combat privilege, why is it okay to exclude the unborn from justice? And why isn't abortion seen as an example of privilege of the born? Ronald Reagan once said, I've noticed that everyone who is for abortion has already been born. In a culture that speaks of the evils of slavery because it's terribly wrong to treat people like property, why isn't abortion seen as the same type of thinking towards children? Even worse, it doesn't end in ownership, but in the taking of life. The arguments slave owners use for slavery are the same ones as the ones for legalized abortion. It's unfortunate, but it is a legal right and an economic necessity. No, slavery and abortion are both evil. Here's a quote from Ava Edel, a survivor of a Nazi concentration camp. When a government does not value human life at any stage of development or aging, it only depends on who is in charge that hour that will determine who will be killed next. Right now, it's the babies. She would know as well as anyone. Human rights mean nothing without the right to life, which is the foundation of all other rights. When we ignore the truth about a human rights issue, we end up contradicting ourselves on other issues. The truth reveals itself and the contradiction becomes apparent. Pro-abortion Democrat Maxine Waters said, if a government can't protect children, it can't protect anyone. She was referring to children at the border when she said that, but pregnancy defines those in the womb as children, so she's speaking out of both sides of her mouth. When arguing against religion, atheist Sam Harris said, whenever we find a culture that's practicing something like human sacrifice based on a notion of propitiating invisible deities, we see these people as dangerously confused and any child born into such a company of adults is an unlucky one and needs to be rescued. I couldn't agree more. The invisible deities that our society sacrifice their offspring to are career, convenience, money, travel, etc. These examples of self-contradiction are numerous. Some say they are personally opposed to abortion, but they could never tell a woman what she can or can't do. To be opposed to abortion, you must oppose it. And imagine saying that about slavery. I'm opposed to slavery, but I could never tell someone else they can't own a slave. That's absurd. If slavery is wrong, then it's wrong for everyone, and the same is true for abortion. If we ever find ourselves in an election that could affect the legality of abortion, and therefore the number of procured abortions that will take place in the future, we should not waste the opportunity to defend the voiceless and vote pro-life. So what about those cases where the woman became pregnant against her will? What about rape as an exception? A woman who is raped is preyed upon, exploited, brutalized, and dehumanized, and something very precious to her is taken by force, despite her innocence. If she becomes pregnant from the rape and chooses abortion, she will spend the rest of her life knowing that she did those same terrible things to her child, and something even more brutal than a rapist, by killing her own child who was as innocent as she was. Abortion is not a solution to rape. It cannot make a woman unraped. 
aborting a child conceived in rape simply adds murder to the list of crimes committed. Many women have chosen life in these circumstances instead of abortion, and they do not regret it, and neither do their children whose lives were saved. The case of rape does not change the facts of pregnancy and abortion. It is still a person in the womb, and we cannot justify killing innocent people. Without completely thinking it through, sometimes people tend to think that terminating the pregnancy before the baby enters the world by being born puts everything back to the way it was before. It doesn't. The unignorable fact is that whatever is in the womb has already entered the world. The womb is part of this world, and the new person has already arrived. There are many parents waiting in line to adopt babies. Adoption is a very moral option. What about children in the womb who have been diagnosed with Down syndrome or some other disability? In those cases, wouldn't it be humane to abort the child before it's born? Unfortunately, many innocent children in the womb are killed for simply failing a test. But studies show that 99% of those with Down syndrome are happy with their lives. That number seems higher than those without Down syndrome. So killing such a child would not be done for the sake of the child, but for the sake of the parents who don't want the responsibility, which is understandably great. But no one should be killed for being inconvenient. Families with children who have Down syndrome very often say that the child has brought them great joy and given their lives much deeper meaning. They will tell you that some babies are born to love. Whenever we love others, we help not only the others, but we help ourselves become better people. Christians would add that loving others makes us more like God, who is love itself. Caring for a disabled baby may be our God-given mission. Children born with disabilities cause challenges in some families that help make people more caring and ultimately help families grow in compassion and become less self-oriented. Michael Knowles once said, Suffering happens to everyone. It's morally neutral. What is good or evil is how we react to suffering. You can react in a way that's ennobling, dignified, and good, or you can react in a way that's selfish, evil, and wrong. Suffering is an opportunity for spiritual growth. Pro-abortion people think there is a perfect world out there with perfect people, and anyone outside of that should be killed. Where does that line end? What if we limp, or are colorblind, or short according to some standard? That line ends at the anti-human ideology of abortion. End quote. What if the baby is not expected to live outside of the womb? Killing the baby in the womb would prevent any of the many cases of a misdiagnosis where the baby is born healthy. But why should the baby die a violent death in the womb instead of peacefully in the arms of its mother, even if it's a short life? Letting the baby die of natural causes means the child would not be killed by her own parents, and her parents would not have to live with that idea that they killed their own child. We don't kill people outside the womb if they get sick or disabled, so why would it be different inside the womb? Some people are for abortion because they benefit from the death of some part of the human race. Environmentalists want legal abortion to save the planet from overpopulation, despite the Census Bureau statistics that show an underpopulation problem. Some see abortion as a useful part of a larger agenda to destroy order, family, and religion. Some make financial gain from abortion, and some use abortion to target minority populations, such as Planned Parenthood, which kills 247 black babies every day on average and cells harvested aborted baby parts to unethical research companies. Planned Parenthood would not have existed without the inconsistent Supreme Court decision that made abortion legal, Roe v. Wade. The Declaration of Independence states that all men are created equal, 
that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And the 14th Amendment of the Constitution states in part, nor shall any state deprive any person of life, liberty, or property without due process of law. The Roe v. Wade decision appealed to the right to privacy, which is not even found in the Constitution, to give the government the power to define who a person is. If our Creator gives persons their rights, like the Founding Fathers stated, those rights are secure. But if the government defines personhood, then none of us can be sure that our rights will be taken from us, just like the government did to the unborn in 1973. A government has no right to decide which humans are human. One last thing. Some say that it's okay to believe in God and be pro-abortion because abortion isn't explicitly condemned in the Bible. If you believe that morality comes from God and that morality can be found in the Bible, it's worth mentioning that God is pro-life because he made humans in his image and likeness. He's clearly against murder in the Ten Commandments, and Proverbs tells us that God hates the hand that sheds innocent blood. God told Jeremiah, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And the psalmist said about God, You formed my inmost being, you knit me in my mother's womb. In the New Testament, St. Paul says that he was set apart and called through God's grace from his mother's womb. And most importantly, Jesus took on human nature by being conceived in Mary's womb. While both were pregnant, Elizabeth said to Mary, At the moment the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the infant in my womb leaped for joy. How can a non-person in the womb leap for joy when in the presence of another non-person in the womb? Well, maybe Jesus and John the Baptist were persons in the womb because Mary and Elizabeth wanted them. No, they were persons because God wanted them. God wants every person he creates. Jesus came saying, this is my body given for you. God's enemy rejoices when we do the opposite and say, this is my body taking life from you. We also learn from scripture that God forgives us when we repent of our sins, even the sin of abortion. And that's great news. We've now gone through the main exceptions people use to justify the immoral act of abortion. But we've seen that none of them change the facts of abortion. Abortion is simply the killing of innocent human life. And no one has a right to do that in a moral society. St. Mother Teresa said, If abortion isn't wrong, then nothing is wrong. The only way we can keep our consciences clear on any issue is to forsake falsehoods and stick to the true stuff. That means to have peace of mind about how we view abortion would mean that we need to forsake the false narratives of the pro-choice movement and defend life in the womb. In the book of Deuteronomy, God offers us a choice. I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live. Abortion is death. Let's choose life. Thank you for listening. And thank you to the following resources as well. First, my wife, Araceli, who convinced me to be pro-life. And liveaction.org, Patrick Madrid, Father Richard Simon, Relevant Radio, Trent Horn, Steve Wagner, Catholic Answers, Archbishop Jose Gomez, Tony Perkins, Angela LaFranchi, MD, Brian Fisher, Dennis Prager, Dr. Brian Scottco, Father Frank Pavone and Priest for Life, Tucker Carlson, Janet Smith, Stephanie Gray, Operation Rescue, and the Catechism of the Catholic Church.